What is up guys and welcome to the Meeple Minded Podcast, the podcast where we talk all things tabletop gaming. My name is Jason. And I'm James. And joining us today to talk all things tabletop gaming is Mill from Descent Games. How are you doing today, Mill? Yes, very good, thank you. How are you? I am fantastic, thank you. Thank you. It's really great to speak to you, actually. I know we've met in person once before, but it wasn't for very long, unfortunately. No, sadly not. Sadly not. We get to have a proper chat today. Exactly, we do. And this is your first time talking to James as well. Yes. Yeah, I think. Are you looking forward to it, James? Yeah. A second interview in a month. I know. This is mental. <laughs> <laughs> Never done so much work. What is this? <laughs> You're here to tell us all about a, a Kickstarter that you have coming up, aren't you? That's correct. Yes, Library Labyrinth. Oh, I'm looking forward to hearing more about that game i must admit but i do think before we get to that we know need to know a little bit more about yourself so why don't you tell us your your history in gaming and maybe your your first memory of gaming well when i uh when i was a kid we uh we played games fairly regularly as a family um you know weekends my sister and i would play you know all the standard things monopoly and things like that um cluedo the 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 usual things that you get from from a toy store i suppose um and then uh i think it was when i was about eight or so i got a copy of labyrinth and um we've basically played that every christmas in our family ever since that's really good to hear like again it may well be a game that only comes out once a year but it's not the dreaded m yeah, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. It's 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 the one game that I can always persuade my mum to play. My dad less so, but um, <laughs> but my mum will always play Labyrinth. It's it's become a bit of a tradition, which is lovely. Nice. Would you would you say you're fa- it's like a family of gamers or just traditional thing of playing at certain times of the year? No, I think I'm I'm definitely the the hardcore gamer in the family. Um, very difficult to persuade my dad to play games. Um, my mum will play every so often, my sister will play every so often, uh, but it's mostly me that's kind of harassing them to do that. We we got a bit of a taste of games you used to play growing up. Do you think your uh, board game tastes have changed? You know, what would you say is your sort of go-to gaming these days? Uh, yes, they've definitely changed. I mean, I still I still enjoy the, the Christmas Labyrinth, um, but mostly now I'm playing... I think top ones recently are Everdell, Horrified. I do like a bit of Banana Grams. Um, <laughs> oh no, not word games. <laughs> yeah, afraid so. Um, My brain doesn't of, work with word games. I'm one of those people. Um, but yeah, recently I've I've been playing uh, Terraforming Mars. I played Ark Nova a few weeks ago, which was great. Dice Hospital I've played recently. I like a worker placement game. It's quite a nice, nice range of uh, of game types that you, you play then. Yeah, yeah, I like a lot of different sorts of games. I think social deduction is the one thing where I I really struggle <laughs> um, because I'm not very good at lying. Uh... <laughs> See, I, I, that's one of the things. Social deduction is probably one of my strongest suits. Yep, which doesn't really stand well for my character, does it? <laughs> <laughs> I think the or problem I it? have as well is is a terrible memory, so I can never remember what other people have said. And I just, yeah, I just sort of end up saying nothing and just going along with whatever anybody else is voting for. <laughs> well, that, that, I mean, that would usually mean if you're playing social deduction with me, you'll probably be voting for me because everyone votes for me. Yeah, it's just a safe bet. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll, I'll remember that. I quite often get voted for 
because people go, oh, Mel's being very quiet. Like, <laughs> it's just because I've got no idea what's going on. <laughs> ah, see, that that's where people like me prey on, on people like you. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah no, I, I go out of my way to be the bad guy, even if I'm not the bad guy. No, <laughs> but it's like, oh, yeah, no, they're being really quiet. It's clearly them. <laughs> no, give me a give me a hardcore strategy game and I'm, I'm happy. But, yeah, try and make me have a conversation where I have to remember what people are saying and it's a disaster. You're, you're more on the, the same side as James there. He's, he's yeah. more of a strategy gamer, aren't you? A strategy gamer, but because of the of you introducing me to Nemesis, it's like I really like social deduction games now and that's an even worse yeah. one because everything you do in that game could be either good or bad and it's really hard to work out which is which. <laughs> it is indeed. I've got to love a good uh, semi-co-op. Are you a co-op fan? Yeah, I played Unfathomable last week, and um, which is sort of semi-co-op, semi-hidden traitor, I suppose, rather than social deduction. Um, and I really enjoyed that, actually. And I gather it's got the basically the same mechanics as Battlestar Galactica. So yes. I'm looking forward to playing that one now as well, which I've been wanting to play for a while, but now I know how to play because I've played Unfathomable. Exactly. I mean, from what I've gathered is uh, that is essentially a streamlined version of Battlestar. Yeah, I've heard it's basically a reskin and just there's, I think, a couple of little bits that are very different. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've not got around to playing Unfathomable yet, but I, d- I did play Battlestar a, a good few years ago and that, that was good fun. Yeah. Um, can't say it's one that I would put in my own collection, but my my, my tastes have changed since. So may, maybe it will yeah. will go into the collection at some point. Our, our game of Unfathomable was amazing because we got right down to like the last turn, and we thought that the hybrids had won. And then one of the other players reminded me that I had a card which changed our our total of our skill check by the the number of items that I had, and I had three items, and so suddenly we'd won and not the hybrids. <laughs> We nice. were convinced that they'd won. It was great. Yeah, just, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You say you played the biggest name on the on the board game scene at the moment, Ark Nova. Yeah. Yeah. How did you find that? that? I really enjoyed it. I mean, I I played Terraforming Mars for the first time about mm, six months ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Ark Nova is again a, a slightly streamlined version of yeah. terraforming mars basically it's got a much nicer theme it's much sort of friendlier in that respect and i really enjoyed it i think it it got rid of some of the some of the bits about terraforming mars that give you that analysis paralysis and it just made it you know you're, you're not ending up with like 16 cards in your hand because you've got to discard down all the time mm. um which made it yeah much much faster to play i think um and much more streamlined as you say i've got to say that's one thing that I'm scared of. Like, I really do want to play Ark Nova. I've not managed to to get a game of it in yet, but I it's it's one of the sort of things that a lot of people don't understand about me. I can't stand terraforming Mars, so <laughs> I'm genuinely worried. Like I should like Ark Nova, but uh, yeah, it's it's going to be one of those things because I can see that it is basically a streamlined version of it. But yeah. I, the theme is so much better. It looks like a great game, so I'm going to play it, and I'm just fingers crossed. I think that makes such a difference. Like theme is such a such a huge thing. Like I very rarely would choose a space game, mm. but now and again I play one that's got really great mechanics. And I think, you know, oh, if this was about like woodland creatures, then <laughs> it would have so much like broader appeal. I think. Yes. But, um, but you say about woodland creatures, have you played Root? Uh, I haven't played Root. I started to look at the rule book once, and then went, I'm going to wait until someone can teach this to me. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, you're you're missing out on yeah, that one. Definitely. We'll, uh, yeah. we'll have to make sure you get to play Root then. Yeah, it's 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 been on my list for a while. Um, yeah, that that is a great game. Really is. The theme is amazing, and especially when you look at the artwork on the cars, it's like, oh, these are really cool, like woodland critters. Yeah. And then you sort of actually examine the card, and there's actually a a rabbit shanking the you know <laughs> someone in the back. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a bit dark. <laughs> yeah, love it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely love that game. When we did speak before, you mentioned to me that you worked in a board game cafe for a little while. How was that experience? for you uh crossing your hobby and your work and would you say it helped you in coming up with game ideas and styles etc yeah i mean it it unfortunately didn't last as long as i hoped it would because um obviously pandemic happened and uh it wasn't as much fun as the board game had us believe Ah. um (laughs) so we obviously we opened uh february 2020 and then closed again a month later um and then it, over the course of the next kind of 18 months, we were only open for about five months of that time, which whilst it was, you know, obviously sad for for the uh, the cafe and that it did mm. give me time to make a board game, um, <laughs> which was quite nice. So it had, it had a small upside. But no, I think I think working in the board game cafe was really eye opening um, to the sort of the sorts of games that people who maybe aren't big board gamers are interested in how they kind of process information what sorts of mechanics they pick up more easily Mm. you know what sort of games are good kind of gateway games for people um like quite often people would come in and and say you know they'd ask for a recommendation and we'd say well what have you played before what do you enjoy and you know sometimes they'd come back going oh i've only ever played monopoly or whatever Um, But if they if they said like oh I like Scrabble then I'd say oh maybe try Bananagrams just kind of slightly tweaking what they know and and giving them something that's like a little bit different from what they're used to but not going like so far out of their comfort zone that then they never come back to it things like code names and things like that are quite sort of you know if somebody likes a word game there's plenty of kind of easy kind of party game word games that you can play as well yeah I I would agree like there's far too many should we say heavy modern wargamers that just automatically assume well i understand you know scythe and gloomhaven mm. so literally everyone should yeah and it's just like it's, it's not as simple as that you know there's a as much as i actually hate the term gateway games there's a reason they exist you know yeah. and why they're called that yeah i think it's, it's about accessibility isn't it i think mm. to and we we'd get quite a lot of families coming in and and you know, parents that aren't really gamers and maybe their kids are more gamers than they are and, mm. and trying to find that kind of balance that with something that they can all enjoy. And things like co-op games were always quite popular as well because obviously parents and kids could work together on that. Yeah. And so they were all learning together rather than, you know, one person kind of running away with it a bit. What was the first game we got you into, James? Because uh, James, by by all accounts, is actually the noob amongst all of us, I think. I don't know, because... The first couple of board games that I actually played, I think the first proper modern board game I played was Downforce. It possibly was, or Thanos Rising or something like that. Yeah. yeah uh, well, yeah, actually Thanos Rising would have been the first one, but I, I would say as a proper modern board game, Downforce. Mm. The first heavyweight game I played was Scythe yes. with you and Ed. 
yeah, it wasn't uh, too long after Darren Forstay was <laughs> chucked you straight in at the deep end with that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I would like that. But it just goes on to what you said earlier. It's like I love games like Scythe, but you don't always want to. But you don't always want to walk in and then be hit by a forty-page rulebook. It's like sometimes mm. you just want to play something simple. Yeah. And sometimes you want that sort of warm-up game. I think as well, don't you? Even if yes. even yeah. if you're planning to move into Scythe later, you you kind of we always you know whenever we do a, a game event. Uh, either one of the clubs or or if i'm hosting people at my house i tend to have a small icebreaker game before the main event game and then mm. you know depending on how long the main event game lasts maybe a cool down game afterwards but yeah i usually i i feel like an icebreaker game is is definitely needed for, for especially if you are playing a heavyweight game later on or if you're waiting for more people to arrive that's always a, a good yes. one yeah yeah Just some, something quick to to fill the time yes yeah, yeah. that's where those little pocket games come in handy isn't it yeah yeah or if you're ordering a takeaway that's the other one you just you need something that is oh only you never take know when it's going to turn up <laughs> yeah something yeah. you can quickly pack away you know? yeah <laughs> so obviously that that was your first foray into i suppose working in the business air quotes but uh at what point did you really decide to take that plunge and really get stuck into like game design development descent games was already formed a few years earlier so um my friend jess who's my co-designer on library labyrinth um formed descent games uh when she made her first game which was disarm the base uh which was back in it was 2019 that that one funded on kickstarter and then she oh it's it's another uh co-op game it's about disarming warplanes in a military base based on direct action that uh some friends of hers actually did nice Um, so obviously they didn't get very far um (laughs) but uh you can get a lot further in the game itself which is nice but yeah so she had an idea for another game um she posted on facebook um saying hey is anyone fancy designing a game with me and i was furloughed at the time uh, and I thought to myself, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do, <laughs> actually, because I'd obviously I've been working in the board game cafe for a bit by that point. Mm. Um, so I've been kind of really living and breathing board games for, um, you know, a couple of months at that point. And so it was just it felt like a natural next step. I'd done kind of escape room design, like immersive game design, yeah. um, things like that before because um, my background is as a theatre producer so I'd done the kind of the live game stuff before nice um so it was really nice to to kind of take those that kind of skill set of kind of world building and stuff like that which is so important in a live game and and kind of put that towards a board game as well because the theme in library labyrinth is so kind of key to what's going on and we've been really conscious of trying to make sure that the the theme and the mechanics marry up so when we're going, you know, how do you get a book to somebody else? Oh, well, you put it on the trolley, obviously. <laughs> you don't just, you know, pass it um, hand to hand or whatever. Um, so we've been, yeah, as I say, really conscious of kind of making sure that that world makes sense within the within the game mechanics. Mm. Would you say there are any particular tools or tricks of the trade that are vital to creating a game? Oh, I don't... I'm not sure, really. I think as long as you have played a lot of board games and you know sort of how certain mechanics work and how they work together no mechanic is copyrighted mm. you as as long as you can kind of go oh well we'll take a bit of that from there and a bit of that from there and if we do this thing then we can make this work um so we when we started designing the game it was a very very different game to what it is now 
um, and we took it to a lot of playtesting sessions and we really we reached one where just it just didn't work <laughs> and we just it was far too complicated it took way long to to explain we just got feedback from people saying you need to strip this right back and we did we stripped it right right back and then rebuilt it basically from the bottom up again and i think you can't be afraid to do that it's really it is hard to kind of let go of those ideas mm. um that you've worked so hard on but if it's not working and if it's not fun yeah then what's the point <laughs> you know yeah I, I would imagine it gets quite difficult like when you're the sole person that's working on the game yourself or, or, or the small team that's working on the game yourself you you know the rules so it's not going to be too difficult for you to completely overlook something that might actually be really complicated Mm. for for your, your average players so i i've always said that playtesting was was a vital thing but now that i get the chance to ask you how how essential do you personally think playtesting is with the potential audience as opposed to just keeping it as an in-house practice honestly i think it's the most important thing that you can do because playtesting is what builds your game you know the feedback that we've had from different communities because we've taken it to not only groups with other other designers where they're all playtesting their games as well and it's a sort of trading with each other playtesting so you know i i playtest mine you playtest you know yeah, yours yeah. And, and we'll but we've also taken it kind of out to conventions and and things where we can really engage with you know real people that aren't designers that are that yeah. are just gamers or even even people that aren't really gamers but are kind mm. of interested in the theme or interested in the idea of doing more gaming and it's been really fascinating to see how those different groups respond in different ways and they respond in different ways to different things. Um, and for some people, all they care about is the theme and they're like, this is amazing. I love it. Like this theme is great. <laughs> this is exactly mm. what I want in a game. And then sometimes you might take it to a group of designers and they're very much focused on the mechanics and yeah. they barely even see the theme. And so when the two things, when you're trying to get the two things to marry up so much, it's, it's really kind of trying to figure out which which bits speak to which groups. I can't imagine that being a very easy thing to do. Mm. Like I know how picky <laughs> I can be on certain things. Like I, I like to think that, you know, I'm very interested in theme, but I'm also very interested in game mechanics. I like to think I'm that nice blend of the two, but I can also appreciate that, especially for someone who maybe designs games, that, yeah, maybe mechanics is far more up their street and they don't really mm. care what's plastered on the components. But at yeah. the same time, when I first started getting into modern board gaming, I only cared about the theme. You know, I, yeah. I only ever bought intellectual property-based games, and for the most part, those games tended to be not all that great. So, yes, I can imagine, and, and I do feel your pain like trying to find that. <laughs> yeah, the sweet spot. The sweet spot, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure it's pain. I quite like it's 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 genuinely really fascinating to kind of see like the psychology of different people and and what what appeals to them mm. um, and trying to you know you can't please everyone all of the time. If they're not into the theme, then they're never going to buy your game anyway. Yeah. So you know it doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> but you know as long as you're pleasing 80% of the people then it's fine well yeah like you said you can never please everyone but uh, yeah. the higher the percentage the better exactly so through, through the design process this has always been one thing I've I've always wondered like you, you've witnessed uh, people playing your game you've seen it go from what I imagine is blank pieces of paper with a little bit of 
you know, scribbled writing on all the way up to the point of you're about to put it onto Kickstarter. At what point, or what would you say is the most heartwarming or emotional part of the game design process? I think there's a couple of contenders. Um, I think, you know, particularly after spending, you know, the first year or so of the process with basically just our team doing everything online, everything was done digitally, everything was done over Zoom, and actually kind of getting it out into the real world for the first time. So the first proper prototype that we, well, I say proper prototype, the first homemade prototype that we played in the mm. world was at the UK Games Expo uh, last year. Mm -hmm. So that was that was our kind of first outing of our first homemade prototype. And that was amazing, uh, actually, to get those get real people playing it. We've done so yeah. much online play testing. We, you know, some of the people that we met at UK Games Expo were people that had done the online play testing for us. And we were finally getting to meet them in person. Yeah. Uh, and they were finally getting to play the game in person. And that was really exciting. The other the other contender, I think, is when we got the like first proper proper like professionally printed physical prototype. Yeah, that was that was an amazing moment as well. Just unboxing that and going, wow, this is like a real thing. This this has a this has a proper box. It has a, you know a rule book. It's got actual like thick chunky tiles. Yeah. Um, and it it looks like a real game. I think the last time uh, that I actually met you in, in person at, at Paul's last game day, it was just before you took delivery of those uh, prototype copies. And I know how excited you, uh, you were for them to turn up. Yeah, I think maybe they were supposed to have arrived like a couple of days before. Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping to have it in time. And then, yeah, we've got them now and it's so exciting. <laughs> I've, I've been keeping up today and, and looking at the pictures that you're posting and they do look absolutely stunning i showed james them earlier as well yeah and oh they, they look beautiful i can't wait to see them in person unfortunately i can't be at paul's next event so uh yeah it's gonna have to be a little bit longer for me yeah soon soon hmm. of course uh the new board game cafe in worthing is opening the dice is opening next week so you know maybe pop down yes we'll have to find some time yeah to, to pop down to that. and venture down so we've been uh, talking a bit about your gaming history and previous things, so we should probably move on to actually talking about the game now, Jason. I think we should. I think we should. We keep skirting around it, so yeah. let, let's like dive into it. it <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so for the benefit of those listening, uh, could you give us a brief overview of Library Labyrinth and what can players expect from the game? So in Library Labyrinth, uh, you find yourselves in a cursed library where all of the monsters and terrible things have come to life and escaped from their books. Uh, and so your task as players is to uh, build a team of inspirational women from fiction and history who are going to help you to capture the monsters and put them back in their books where they belong. So that is a very interesting and unique theme, which is quite a rare thing now, I, I would say, amongst modern board games. Yeah. But one thing I am genuinely, genuinely interested in is that decision to go for that all-female lineup of characters because we have said this quite a few times you know, at our events and even on the podcast as well, that we do feel that like representation within our hobby is, while it's, it is getting better, it's still not where it needs to be. So was that a contributing factor for your decision to go for all female characters? That was the kind of the main focus of the game when we first started it. Um, it was 
very much i guess what descent games does is games with an element of social responsibility mm -hmm. um and you know as an all-women team it sort of happened fairly organically um, <laughs> obviously jess is a woman i'm a woman we joined forces and then made sure that the rest of our team was also women because we thought it was really important for this game with this kind of feminist angle that it was coming from from our perspectives and you know as women gamers we're often playing games and we're forced to play you know the one female character that there is in the game indeed yeah. kind of token woman and it's just it's frustrating that our options aren't there you know there's six different characters to choose from five of them are men yes and um, and so you know it is getting better as you say definitely and i think most of the games that i'm picking up these days are definitely starting to redress that balance but we thought it was time that there was a game with all women yeah um, why not? women women from all different backgrounds all different cultures um you know this game celebrates women from all around the world not just western culture but um you know eastern culture african culture um and history and it's really important that those stories are told and so many of the women that we feature in the game are people that i'd never heard of before we started doing this and they've got such incredible stories and so often people look at them and go oh i've never heard of this person at all and that's ridiculous because she's done so many amazing things so there's definitely that sort of gently educational aspect to the game as well because people are finding out about new characters that they had no idea about and then they're going away and looking them up and, and finding out more about them um which is the goal really it's to kind of inspire people to to look them up and, and find out about these amazing women that did these incredible things i mean I, i'm always into uh, i've always liked the idea should i say of, of games that can actually maybe teach me something that i didn't know before but without feeling like I'm backing school sort of thing. And it's it's actually quite nice to see a lot of games are now adopting that sort of mild educational or, you know, mild learning side of things. And it's nice to hear that Library Labyrinth is going to be doing the same thing. And that I'm sure there's many very powerful female characters from history that I'm probably going to learn some things about when I get to play your game. Yeah. I hope so. I hope so. Um, and one of the other things that we're doing kind of alongside that is um, every game is going to have a, a little booklet inside with more information about each of the characters as well as each of the uh, literary terrors that uh, that they're fighting against because uh, people kept say, kind of saying, oh, well, where's the where's the Reichenbach Falls from and things like that. So that's going in as well. So, yeah, so there'll be a booklet with a bit more information about all of them. Um, and then we're also... Uh, putting together a series of workshops that we can take into schools, libraries, um, maybe board game cafes, uh, where people can learn more about the characters and things as well. Fantastic. That's great. Cool. So uh, on the subject of the characters, could you give us an example of maybe one of the heroines and one of the mythical creatures that you might encounter in this game? Yeah. So uh, the, the example that I tend to use is uh, when you're fighting the basilisk, uh, a really great team to use is uh, Queen Nzinga, um, which is uh, a queen from, I think, 17th century, what's now uh, modern Angola, I believe. And Joe March from Little Women. That's your perfect team to fight a basilisk. Insider information here. This is, this <laughs> yeah. is, I'm going to write yeah. that down for when we when yeah. we get to play the game. <laughs> yeah. 
Alice in Wonderland surprisingly good against the uh, Martian robots from War of the Worlds. <laughs> now, that is definitely something I would pay to see at the cinema. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of the matchups, like, I just... That's kind of my favourite thing about this game is is kind of imagining those mashups of, mm. of characters fighting <laughs> monsters. And I just think so completely absurd and I find it so funny. <laughs> Great fun. No, that actually does sound really, really good. I can't wait to get to play it again. I'm very annoyed that I can't be there for the next gaming event, but I will make sure next time I get down, we will definitely get a game of that in. You can uh, play it on screen top in the meantime if you want to play the digital version. Mm-hmm. It's available uh, in on screen top, which is a browser-based uh, free digital version. I may have to drag James on there one evening. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, also, I, I might grab the link off of that uh, for that off of you later, and I'll yes, put that in the uh, the podcast description as well. So if anyone yeah. does want to try it, it'll be down there, nice and easy to get hold of. If you are listening to this on the day of this podcast release, Tuesday the 1st of March 2022, that's your big day, isn't it? It is, yes. (laughs) (laughs) How long has that been in the pipeline for? We started designing the game, I think it was May 2020. So it's been nearly two years coming, um, which is very exciting. Um, so yeah. this is a born and bred lockdown game then? It is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sort of spilled out into the world afterwards as well. Um, I, th- yeah. I, I I hate to say it, but I do think that we are going to suddenly see a huge influx of games over the coming year Yeah. of you know all of those people that have had the time to literally sit at home and, and with their paper and their pens and yeah. time to sit on a computer designing games and letting their creative juices flow all, all these productive people over lockdown i just got fat <laughs> <laughs> oh i wrote a play as well <laughs> no, unfortunately both both me and james were the were uh were deemed as key workers so we were working throughout oh. the whole thing i think i had one one or two days maximum furlough yeah. in 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 the two years so a bit of a shame I'm I'm sure I would have come up with at least a hundred game designs, but uh, there will never be that proof. (laughs) But yeah, so at least you had something to keep you busy over lockdown. But other than that, how was lockdown for you? Was it uh, as stressful as it was for everyone else? Do you know what? I quite enjoyed lockdown. (laughs) I know that's a a weird thing to say, but it just gave me time to kind of concentrate on these like fascinating projects. like you know designing a board game writing a play about a subject that i'd been fascinated about for ages and finally actually had the time to sit down and do i also played you know 3000 levels of gardenscapes on my phone but that's beside <laughs> the point <laughs> yeah i spent i spent a lot of time being absolutely bored out of my brain um i watched a lot of netflix um, but i didn't actually mind like being stuck in the house Maybe that's just me. <laughs> no, the the introvert in me actually went, oh, I get to get away from people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's different, I think, when, when nobody's allowed to go out and do anything. You don't get that, that FOMO. But mm. if you're, like, self-isolating after everybody's, like, gone back to work and going out and things, that's the worst because you spend a week at home going, everybody else is out doing things and I'm stuck here. Of course. Um but when everybody's stuck at home, I think it's all right because everybody kind of really embraced it and, you know, moved a lot of exciting things online. And, yeah. and you know, we did a lot of, I think my social life went through the roof during lockdown <laughs> because suddenly everyone was free to do things. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would say the same. I think both me and James would say the same thing. We've we've got a good friend of ours who lives in the Netherlands, and while I do talk to him quite a lot via text message, we don't really talk talk yet. Yeah. When we were both at home of an evening doing nothing, you know, I, I worked during the day, but of course the evenings I still couldn't do anything. So we were generally mm. online and having a good chat on online, playing online games. It's like I'd never done that before, and yet mm. there's no reason why. You yeah. know, I still have evenings that I can do stuff online, but now, now that we're all sort of free to do almost everything we want, I, I just find myself not wanting to be on the computer and not mm. wanting to sit there playing games because I've had to do it for the last two years. So I, mm. I'd much rather be out now, like you said. Yeah, you can play a board game in real life rather than on Board Game Arena. Indeed. However, I will I will take that sacrifice in order to play your game. So. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, let's get back to the game and the Kickstarter. We know March 1st is going to be the big day. Do you, do you have a rough time as to when you're hoping that it's going to go live? Uh, we're thinking 10am. Okay. So uh, yeah, that's that's the plan at the moment. <laughs> nice. So hopefully, I mean, if, if you are literally listening to this when the episode drops, that's 7am in the morning. So you've got three hours till this game goes live. <laughs> <laughs> Although by the time you've listened to the podcast, it'll probably be about two and a half. So, <laughs> are you uh, are you doing anything anything super special that you want to give away? Or are you going to hold all your secrets in terms of like add-ons and things? Um, we we're going to have some some funky tote bags, um, which are they're going to be very cool. I think Jess did them for Disarm the Base before, and they just had the kind of the big Disarm the Base logo on. Mm. Um, but the ones that we're doing for Library Labyrinth, um, we're doing two variations, so you can get one with I think 16 characters on and one with 16 of the literary terrors on. So you can choose whether you want the the monsters bag or the or the characters bag. And I think I think they're going to look really cool. And the bags are like I've got a couple of the Disarm the Base ones and they are like amazing quality. And I'm mm. not I'm not just saying that. They're not just they're not like your bog standard um canvas tote bags. They're like thick and chunky and like wide. You can actually fit quite a lot in them. Nice. Um, I've I've been uh, putting all the stuff in them when i've been going to the conventions um no so. that's good uh it's, it's actually quite nice to see a a campaign that is doing bags because while i have got my nice big carry bags that i put loads of games in when i go to games events sometimes if i only want to take one or maybe two games i need a much smaller bag and i just i don't like putting my big expensive games in a shopping bag you know from from sainsbury's or or whatever it be but <laughs> So yeah, uh, you can count me in for one of those, I think. Excellent. Is the game box going to be the perfect Kallax size? Oh, it's smaller. Perfect. So the, the game box is uh, 20 centimetres squared uh, by, I think it's eight centimetres deep. Okay, nice. So it's, it's, it's petite. Um, but everything fits in there because we're not doing like a plastic insert. It's all uh, wood and card. So there's no plastic involved either. Going for the uh, the eco, yeah, the eco route, which is good. That's uh, again, I think that's something. I, I don't know how you feel about that. I I would assume you feel the same, but I think that's something again that the board game industry needs to hurry up and catch up on. To be honest, is is pulling away from things like plastic inserts that don't need to be plastic. Yeah. When you know there are paper and card inserts which are just as good. Or, you know, I, I personally have a real issue with the amount of, like, uh, baggies 
mm. some some companies like the, the last terraforming mars game for example where they put every cube in its own individual bag yeah yeah i think baggies are useful for kind of keeping components from falling out everywhere um one of our stretch goals that we've got um which was another one that uh jess also did for design the base is little canvas bags so that you nice. don't have the um the plastic so yeah again trying to trying to keep that plastic free as possible very very good to hear i don't think there's anything else kind of super secret and super exciting we we've we're only putting kind of like four or five stretch goal, goals out at the beginning um if we if we make huge amounts of money then more stretch goals will be coming um, but we will be revealing those later totally understandable and a couple more questions i think with regards to the game you said that uh, it was just that sort of put the the feelers out there as to whether there was someone that wanted to design a game with her who's Whose idea was it for the theme, and do you know what the inspiration was around it? Um, so it was mostly mostly Jess that kind of came up with the initial theme of um, you know using literary characters, mm. um, and it's it's about kind of matching skill symbols on uh, the character cards to the skill symbols on the monster tiles, um, and so that was the kind of initial idea was about matching skills yeah. um, to capture monsters um, and. Jess is a major bookworm. She's read like all the Agatha Christie books. She's just, she's constantly reading like amazing classic literature. And I just sort of fall by the wayside a little bit. <laughs> so the kind of the literature side is definitely her, her bag. And then that sort of just kind of developed organically. Um, so like my, my degree was uh, classics and drama. So mm. um, the sort of the ancient world, history and things like that that's kind of more my thing and so we started bringing in kind of you know myths and legends and then that sort of expanded out and then we started bringing in kind of more historical characters as well in terms of like the labyrinth side of it the when we first started it was it was a board it wasn't tiles mm. um and you you were sort of it was quite a while before we kind of went oh i like a maze mechanic oh yeah i like a maze mechanic let's put that in mm. and then uh, you know for a while it was it was kind of levels and you had to kind of fight the easy monsters and then fight the slightly harder monsters and then fight the big bad at the end um but it just it didn't really work because you were kind of always doing the same thing so we kind of changed it to to having this maze mechanic uh, and then we realized that the board was always the same and we could get around that by having tiles <laughs> so uh so then we put in the tiles and that was the kind of key moment i think when we realized that this was a game now and it was fun and it wasn't a chore anymore mm. um the tiles were were a real game changer i've got to admit they they were the first thing that really drew me to the game it just it really drew me to the table you know, with the whole tile mechanic and, and stuff like that. And, you know, when you sh gave me the very quick overview at Paul's last event, and was like, yeah, I I'm sold on this game now, and I've not even played it yet, which is great. <laughs> As we said, the theme has come across really, really well. I think it's great representation as well. Literally, it's ticking boxes after boxes after boxes for me. So you can, you'll definitely see my name popping up on Excellent. the uh, on the backers list so thanks <laughs> i'm very glad to hear it have you got anything else you'd like to ask james uh well i suppose the the final question is um obviously with the impending kickstarter coming up um what do you think's coming after you know is there anything sort of in the pipeline no specific kind of 
big games planned. Um, Jess has been doing a lot of uh, games on a greetings card. Uh, so she she did one called Plastic Currents a while ago, which is about uh, pushing plastic around the ocean. Um, and you play it with jelly beans. Um, I don't know so if I'd be able to do that. I'd be constantly eating them. <laughs> well, you can you can eat them at the end. That's oh, fine. That's you, right, o- you only need like twenty of them to play the game. That's still a temptation. I, yeah. I don't do well with temptation. <laughs> but it's nice as well because then you're like, ah, oh, I'm eating the plastic from the ocean. Great. <laughs> um, so that was that was the kind of first one. And then she's been doing um, like roll and color games. Uh, so there's there was a Christmas selection that went out, and then there was a Valentine's selection that went out. And I know that there's some other ones in the pipeline. She's been drawing foxes and things. So um, yeah, that's that's kind of her her next thing that she's kind of focusing on. I think. Nice. Um, but I think there's there's enough still to do on Library Labyrinth that we're not ready to really think beyond that at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> that's totally understandable. I think, especially as with how close you are to the launch of the, of the Kickstarter, it's all all hands on deck at this point, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. There's there's ideas spinning around, but there's there's nothing sort of concrete yet. Oh, well, we, I'm sure we look forward to seeing what comes after Library Labyrinth, but it's all about Library Labyrinth right now. So yeah, I, th- I think we're we're geared up for that. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to talk about while you're still here? Uh, I feel like we've covered the bases. <laughs> awesome stuff. I think one thing that we we should let you do while you are here, if you would like to take the floor and let the lovely ladies, gentlemen, and everyone else that's listening, basically tell them where they can find you, where they can find Descent Games, and uh, last chance to plug the uh, the Kickstarter project. Well, we are on uh, all the usual social medias, uh, so you can find us on Facebook. We've got a page uh, called Descent Games. We've got a group called Library Labyrinth, um, so you can just search in Facebook for either of those. We are at Descent Games on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, today, I made us a TikTok because apparently loads of people said that was really helpful for their games. So we are Descent Games 1 on, on TikTok as well. And our, our website is librarylabyrinth.com. And obviously, our Kickstarter is under Descent Games slash Library Labyrinth. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. It has been a pleasure talking to you and actually getting to talk to you properly rather than very quickly as I'm trying, you know, having to run out of the door at a games club. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, we we hope to to meet you again in person for an actual game. And same with Jess, it would be nice to 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 have grab a game with with both of you. Yeah, mm. yeah absolutely. definitely. Uh, are you planning on doing any conventions this year? Uh, we're going up to Aircon uh, in a couple of weeks. Nice. So we'll be we'll be up there mid Kickstarter campaign. So it felt like one that we really had to do. Yeah. Uh, because of the timing there. So uh, and then hopefully. A few other things. We're going to Games Expo again, and then kind of smaller, smaller things. I think there's one in Southampton at the beginning of April, um, and then we're. I've started doing a a mini tour of board game cafes uh, with some of the other designers that I've met at cons. So um, we're we're kind of in the process of booking some of those in. I understand you you met uh, with our our last interviewee, uh, Tom Mayfly. Oh, our lovely Tom from Mayfly. Yes, Indeed, yes. Yeah. I played his game at the uh, Guildhall Games Fest uh, a few weeks back at the end of January, uh, and it was very fun. So, yes, we're, it's uh, another one of those games we're very much looking forward to uh, to playing that yes, very soon. I heartily endorse The Family by Mayfly Games. Awesome stuff. I'm sure if I don't catch up with you at a game event soon, we'll bump into each other at a games cafe or 
I hope so. I really hope it doesn't take till UK Games Expo, but definitely there this year. Yeah, so, yeah. I'm sure we can sort something out before that. I'm certain we can. It's months away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know I'm a busy man, but not quite that busy. Yeah. Thank you very much for joining us once again. Very quickly, where can people find you? And then we will let you go. Uh, best bet at the moment is probably Kickstarter. Um, so just search Library Labyrinth and we should hopefully pop up. Uh, Facebook, uh, we've got the page Descent Games and uh, the group Library Labyrinth, which are both very active. Twitter and Instagram at Descent Games. TikTok, maybe, if I can pull it together. <laughs> and uh, website librarylabyrinth.com where you can also sign up to our email newsletter. Perfect. Thank you very much once again for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Always yep. welcome. Indeed. Good luck with the Kickstarter, and we will uh, hopefully you. see you down the line. But right now, we're going to hand over to our newsman, Paul. Yeah, I know we're recording a day early, but you know perfectly well why. Well, I'm being let out for good behaviour, aren't I, for Mid-Sussex Meeple's game day tomorrow. Or, if you're listening to this now, it was last Sunday. Well, you could have too if you hadn't cheesed Jason off the other day, and you could have been coming too. Anyway, I had an incentive this time round, because my Devon family will be... were there. My mum... My brother and my niece will be, were there. And our friend Mills organised, well, did organise a few designers bringing in prototypes for us to play before they go up, are up on Kickstarter. You know, you're right. It's starting to feel a little like a sci-fi show time travel loop episode. Right, got to snap out of it. You know what to do. No. Not buy a lottery ticket. We're not really having a time-travelling episode. And even if we did, that would introduce a huge space-time continuum disruption. Mouthful, you're telling me. I'll just hit the damn button. The winners from this year's Asdor, or French Game of the Year, were announced late last week. Seven Wonders Architect, the spin-off board game about civilization building, has won the 2022 Asdor Award for Game of the Year, beating out the competition of storytelling game Carta Ventura, La Haza, and Happy City. Seven Wonders Architects, a board game by the creator of the original Seven Wonders, Anton Bowser, was handed the Asdor Game of the Year 2022 award. Reserved for family-friendly board games designed to be accessible to a wider audience, the Asdor Game of the Year award was previously been given to the co-op deduction game Micro Macro Crime City, which has players working together to solve crimes using the illustrated map of a city. Seven Wonders Architects is a beginner board game for two to seven players that takes place in a nebulous time in history, wherein various famous civilizations are all vying for power and renown. Each player takes on the role of a civilization, getting their own unique ability, and must attempt to build their own wonder and collect as many points as possible. On their turn, players are able to take a card from the deck to their left, their right, or from the middle. Whilst the top card on the left and right decks are sat face up, the cards in the middle remain face down. When players have chosen their card, they immediately play it and gain its benefits. The Asdor winner for Best Children's Game went to Bubble Stories, which took the award over My First Castle Panic and Pinpon. 
Dune Imperium, based on the popular sci-fi novels by Frank Herbert, was given the award for Best Expert Game 2022, winning out against rival deck builder Lost Ruins of Arnak and Icky. The award for the newly created Insider category though, which is intended for board games that sit between the beginner Asdor Game of the Year and Expert Game categories, was handed to Living Forest. The forest-themed board game beat out Nouvelle's Contre and Oltre. You'd think Carcassonne as one of the better known gateway games has more expansions and variants that you could shake a stick at, but not enough apparently. The next entry in the beloved family board game series, Fog Over Carcassonne, transports players not to a medieval French countryside as in the original title, but to a haunted land that's currently being terrorised by angry ghosts. A curtain of mist is spread across the hills and valleys, unleashing the fury of the spirits that dwell inside it. Players will need to use the various locations and landmarks that they can construct around them in order to quell the ghost's anger and save the locals. Fog Over Carcassonne will be the first co-op board game in the series, seeing the players collaborating together instead of competing against one another. Rather than laying down the traditional fields, monasteries and city tiles, in Fog Over Carcassonne, players will be attempting to construct cemeteries in which to contain the restless spirits and haunted castles in order to survive the onslaught of ghosts spreading across the land. Players will have three days, or three rounds, of spirit spawning, during which they need to contain as many of them as possible, with the ghosts appearing as little semi-transparent meeples. If the group manages to make it through the three days without getting overwhelmed by ghosts, then they collectively win the game. Fog Over Carcassonne was designed by Klaus-Jürgen Rend, the creator of the original Carcassonne, as well as many of the game's various expansions and spin-off titles. The original Carcassonne was released in 2000 and has two to five players attempting to earn the most points by collectively building a French countryside. As a recording, no price or release date has yet been set for Fog Over Carcassonne. The next upcoming board game from the creator behind Root, Cold Whirl, can apparently be played thousands of times over. Arcs, Collapse and Conflict in the Void is a space-themed board game that has players pursuing their own objectives across multiple sessions, each one lasting around 50 to 70 minutes. In an interview with Dicebreaker, Wells spoke about the game's size and its potential for replayability. As players will be able to choose from two different objectives at the start of the game, there will be many branching paths in arcs, with each one resulting in a unique end-of-game state. Reportedly, there will be 40 to 50 different objective cards for players to pursue, thereby ensuring that each game of arcs will differ depending on which combination of objective cards are in play. Each of the available objective card combinations in arcs has the potential to offer players many different playthroughs, with every one of those playthroughs resulting in its own ending. I think we must be looking at probably tens of thousands of different possible game states, said Will. There are more narrative combinations in arcs than there are combinations of root factions. Every playthrough of arcs will consist of a varying number of chapters or sessions, depending on the type of objective cards players choose from. Single chapter objectives will ensure that the game of arcs only lasts a single session, and is the recommended setup for newer players. Whilst the two and three chapter cards will see players experiencing a much longer game spread over multiple sessions. Each session in arcs is separated by an intermission period in which players are invited to take a break from the game, whether a few minutes or indeed a several weeks. 
take stock of any new gameplay mechanics introduced as a result of the events of the previous session, and to use the victory points they've earned to prepare themselves for the next. During a playthrough of ARCs, three to four players compete to complete each of their own objectives, which can range from finding a forgotten homeland or spreading war throughout the galaxy. Alongside their primary objectives, players will also have a secret objective which will encourage them to directly engage with their opponents as their specific foils. Each session of arcs is split into a series of rounds in which players can perform various actions designed to earn them victory points and to push their objectives. The player turn order for each round is determined by a trick-taking card game that's players choosing from their hand of cards. Whilst cards with higher numbers will ensure that players go sooner, they will also allow for fewer actions to be performed during that turn. And whenever players get into conflict with one another, they'll select from three different combat approaches. Bombard, Raid and Assault, and roll dice for each of their chosen strategies and attacking spaceships. At the end of every chapter of Arcs, the players tally up their victory points to determine who was the winner of that session. The result of each chapter will have a direct impact on the setup of the next one, with players maintaining possession of the resources they've collected. Whoever manages to complete their primary objective before the end of the game is the winner of ARCs. And if multiple people completed their objectives, or indeed no one did, then the player with the most victory points wins. ARCs, Collapse and Conflict in the Void is set to hit crowdfunding in late quarter two. I'm heading on over to crowdfunding now. And first up is Dinosauria by Microgameo. It's for 1 to 3 players, 20 to 45 minutes, 14 years and over, and ends on Friday, March the 11th. Dinosauria is a solitaire 18 card microgame by Microgameo, or plays 2 to 3 player if you include in the next gen expansion. It's the year 3000. You are a galactic paleobiologist of the first strata. Sent to a distant, super-Earth-sized planet, Magnus III, that has been seeded with millions of living dinosaurs. Elite paleobiologists such as yourself are privately invited to revive ancient dinosaurs, cultivate egg-laying and shepherd a new generation that thrives beyond human intervention. You select dino cards from the DNA archive to revive, and using the in-game science currency, Vita, return them to life. Take care for your brood by encouraging them to thrive and lay more eggs and watch them hatch. Such caring wins you universal prestige, but can you match wits against your colleague, the game AI? Whoever ends up with the most prestige takes the victory. The game has been described as if Wingspan and Splendor had a love child and had big Jurassic babies. You can pledge £5 or $6 for the print and play files. £8 or $10 gets you the physical core game and access to the print and play files. £15 or $19 gets you the physical game, the next gen expansion and access to the PMP files. Or you go all in for £26 or $34 and that will get you the game, expansion, PMP files and a dinosauria set of poker cards. Next up is Retrograde by Resonim. For 1-4 to four players, it takes 25-35 to 35 minutes to play eight years and over, and ends Saturday, March the 12th. Retrograde is a real-time, roll-and-write inspired by classic 80s arcade games of yesteryear. Evil astro-droids are invading Earth, so grab the joystick and blast as many as you can, but can you get the high score? 
Each round, roll your dice as fast as you can. Race to roll combo shown on the target cards, claim the best card, and spend your dice to put the droids on your sheet out of commission. Be fast though, or an opponent might beat you to the card you want. If you're the last player without a card, you can only re-roll two more times before you're stuck with what you rolled. Blast entire columns to destroy bosses gains you bonus points, and blasting rows unlocks the power-ups you may collect. Pledge at £3 or $3 for the print and play set, or £21 or $27 gets you the physical copy of the game, all unlock stretch goals and of course access to the PMP files. And last up is Circuitry by Jeremy Dawson. It's for 1-6 to six players, 15-30 to 30 minutes, 10 years and over, and ends on Tuesday, March the 15th. Build the circuit board with the help of 30 double-sided cards. Move your pawn strategically from a charge point to the master node and collect and play the charge cards. You can charge the circuit's board's pathways or force your opponents to move when they don't want to. The goal is to build and negotiate the pathways to reach your charge point before returning to the master node and indeed eliminate other players. Each turn, a player selects two mini-cards of any combination that they wish to take. A player can have as many mini-cards in their hand as they wish, and may play any amount of mini-cards in any order during their turn. Each turn, a player may also play, but does not have to, a single circuit board card at any point in their turn, any way up and in any orientation, as long as it connects to corresponding edge of another card. Pledge just £19 for the game, with additional pledges for up to three coffees, offering slight discounts. And we're heading on over to events. Wednesdays has Crawley Gaming Community, being hosted at the comic shop, 42 High Street, Crawley, RH10 1BW. Tending to gather from 6ish onwards until close. £5 for the evening, with plenty of snacks, drinks, including some fantastic milkshakes. Also this Wednesday, 2nd of March, is Board Games at the Barn down in Brighton at Westine Barn and Green, Dean Vale, BN15ED, from 7pm through to 11pm, and just £2 per person. And their game nights run once a fortnight. Thursday sees three groups running in the form of Worthing Board Gamers down at the Ardington Hotel, Steen Gardens Worthing BN11 3DZ, from 7pm. Dave is hosting Lewis Board Game Club at the Trinity Gaming Cafe, Arbinger Place, Lewis, BN7, 2QA, from 7 through to 11. Jake and Chris would like to welcome you to Dyson Drinks, 7981 Churchwalk, Burgess Hill, RH159 BQ for their Thursday evening socials. Entries just £5 for the evening. Crawley Gaming Club are here for you every Monday. They'll be up and running from 6pm over at the Tilgate Community Centre, Shackleton Road, Crawley, RH10 5DF, just £3 per person, over there with a tuck shop. I know restrictions are easing to some degree, but still keep an eye on the socials for any last-minute changes to events. What's that? You still bought a lottery ticket, and still want a tenner, so you think it's working? Well, no, if it had worked properly, I think you'd be coming away with a bit more than that, chap. Okay, before you go and spend it, say goodbye to everyone. And it's a goodbye from me. Keep safe, meeples. Keep those dice rolling, cards shuffling, and we'll be right here for you next week. 